Juggling. That was that was perfect. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I guess uh I just had to listen to that one time. That was great. Welcome back to Prestigious Minds. This is a bonus episode where Rob and I are going to talk about subjects and topics that we find interesting that we may have lightly touched on whenever we've talked about specific people. So I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode of Prestigious Minds. On the first bonus episode, we talk about how entrepreneurs in the 19th century capitalized on the recent move towards industrialization and amassing wealth not seen since the monarchies of the old world. Will the workers unite to change the way labor is treated, or will the top 1% gain the upper hand? I guess we'll find out on the next episode of Dragon Ball Z. That was was perfect. Okay, Okay, so I guess uh, I just had to listen to that one time. That was great. Yeah, this... uh, this rogue beer has six point seven percent alcohol, which is not terribly bad. So, so what is that rogue? Is rogue the brewery? Yeah, it's rogue. I guess it's the uh, the brewery. I'm not sure where it's from, but uh, it's the Bat Squatch, which is pretty cool. Hazy India Pale Ale. I don't know anything about it other than that, but it's really fruity tasting, not very harsh, not bitter at all. It's got like a fifty four IBU. If anyone knows what that means, I don't know bitter. I guess one hundred's like you'll. Pucker to death. I wouldn't. Have, I tried it. I wouldn't. Have, I say it's a fairly average IPA. Well, I think it's good if you like hazy IPAs. That if you sense. like, if you're like me and you like one beer every so often, it's really good. What are you drinking over there? I'm drinking a commercialized beer by Wicked Weed Brewery, but it's probably one of my favorite beers they have is the German chocolate cake. It's a uh, dessert stout you see i love dark beer but it's like if i have too much flavor to it it kind of throws it off for me so like the german chocolate cakes and mint flavors i'm not the biggest fan of a good porter is really good though and i do like that but i like stouts that taste what you would expect them to taste like like if you read the name of a beer and you have an idea of what that would taste like and you drink that beer and it hits your taste buds and it tastes exactly the way you expect it to taste that to me is a great beer. Right. I feel like a Guinness, and something with lower alcohol percentages, probably is a little bit better, but if you have a, a porter that's got like, you know, 11, 12%, I think that can be a little much when you have that high uh, coffee or chocolate notes. Yeah. I mean, you, you typically find that in your Imperial or your double chocolate stouts typically have that extra bitter flavor that I'm not a super big fan of. It doesn't bother me, but... It tastes very stereotypical of a, of a standard stout or porter. And, I, and I'm just kind of like, you know, if, I, if I'm if i just wanting a stout, maybe with like something I'm eating, cool. Maybe a cigar. But if I go somewhere specifically where the beer is the centerpiece of what I'm doing, like a brewery, that matters. That matters to me. Right. Same, same here. I don't like, I don't drink a lot at all, but when I do, I kind of like, I use beer as a dessert almost. That's why I think something fruity or um, it has just a good flavor in its own. Is really nice. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not what you'd call a beer connoisseur, but I do like a good flavor, and I don't really like a lot of bitterness. This particular one. So if you read it, German chocolate cake obviously has coconut, and I never really tasted coconut. And I read it on the box that said hints of you know rich chocolate and coconut, and I never really tasted the coconut. And then you know right now I guess it's warmed up a little bit, so flavors come through a lot more. Right. And you can actually taste the coconut, like actual like sugary coconut, and 
Really good. Really good. There is a coconut porter. I think it's called like cocoa porter, but it has a coconut notes to it. It tastes really good. It has a Hawaiian person on it. Oh, yeah. I've had that one. It's really good. Tasty. A uh, higher alcohol percent than you would think for how good it tastes. Yeah. Speaking of uh, percentages, let's talk about uh, capitalization and the industrialization of America. Ooh. All right. This, I guess this is going to be our first bonus episode on, uh, you know, kind of going in between Carnegie and talking maybe a little bit, a bit about Rockefeller. Just on kind of, you know, go back and forth on what our thoughts are in the time period, how things are moving and grooving. So this particular time period, as we have referenced in the episodes about Carnegie and Rockefeller, is this period around and after the Civil War where you have a lot of urbanization and growth, particularly in the North because the South was decimated. They were still rebuilding at the time. Yeah. And they didn't really have a very robust economy. It was still very... Um, after the Civil War, it was pretty decimated. You didn't well, see... I, honestly, you probably haven't seen recovery of the industry there until like mid-20th century. I would say whenever cars became more apparent, and there was a reason it was cheaper. You didn't have to have rivers. You didn't have to have rail, and that opened a lot of stuff up. That's also what opened up a lot of stuff out west. So you have this time period where economic boom is taking off. You have the gold rushes. They're going on out in California, and then you have inventors. They're inventing new machines. You have steam power coming along, which we've talked about, and... Later on, you end up with electricity, but we're not that far ahead yeah. yet. Just talk on that subject. We're getting into, we have the telephone coming. It's not here yet, but it's fixing to come. We got electricity going. And soon after, right into the 20th century, we're going to have a car. The first the first commercially viable, or I wouldn't say even commercially viable, the first everyday man's car. Yeah, which is insane. If you think, about, let's not get too far into that, but if you think about what's going to happen in the next 70 years, it's crazy. We're not going to go into the full history of America, but it's very interesting when we talk about this. This is something that Rob and I was talking about earlier today, in fact, was we left a monarchy mainly because the people that were ruling were not the people that had to deal with all the issues, if that makes sense. So you had this, if you think about a monarchy, it's the top very small percent that rules over people, has all the power and money. Then when you when you transition to the democracy, the republic that is America, we had... The idea that you can make your own, you can, you can, don't have to, you're not beholden to any monarchy or higher power other than whatever creator you believe in. You can make America whatever your dream is. If you look into the 19th century, we start to move toward, towards an industrialization process that you see an, an amassing of wealth in very few select people. We'll go over how the stock markets and different industries played into that. Very fascinating to look at. Because you have to think, most of these people were farmers, they were skilled craftsmen. A lot, Many of these people, as we had mentioned whenever we were talking about Carnegie's heritage, they were all hand loom weavers. And the steam, steam engines came along and factories. Technology advanced, you didn't have to have handmade goods. Now, if you want to compare that to today, you have a resurgence over the past several years of handmade goods really becoming in, in vogue now. I think part of that is due to people monetizing their hobbies. And another portion of that is we have become a more of a consumer society in mass production. And so that the craftsmanship that you can be afforded through handmade goods is there. And the ability for lower skilled people to produce higher quality products are also there. The interesting about that is to go to put 
more of a, a point on what you're saying is the craftsmanship of certain things has getting increasingly and or exponentially better. I used to be in the knife industry, sold and bought knives for one of the the world's largest knife store. Not to give too many hints, but if you look at how the technology of even the material of something like a Benchmade or Spyderco or a really high-end knife has increased in the last 10 years, it's amazing because you've gone from something that you could get off the shelf to make a tool with to something that's just tailor-made for knives. It is very expensive and you can see that in certain industries where you're getting more artisan or very niche materials and processes that is becoming more everyday for people, at least in the stuff that they buy. I don't know if that's, if we're coming off the tail end of, oh, everything we just want mass produce and cheaply to, hey, I want something good quality. Back in the 40s, 50s, we romanticized that as having good quality product that lasts forever. And then we waned into, oh, cheap overseas stuff. Now it seems like we're coming back into, I want good quality. I wanted to take a quick break to thank you for listening to this episode of Prestigious Minds. I hope that you are enjoying it. Also, I would like to ask if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or anywhere you listen, and let us know what you think of the show and maybe any future topics or people that you would like us to cover here. Also, don't forget that you can find us on Instagram at pmindspod, where you also get a visual representation, not just the audio of what we talk about here. Now back to the show. Not to veer too far off of the industrialization farms to factories movement. We've been talking about mainly referencing a lot of modern ideas and processes and and inventions. I think a large portion of it also comes down to the science of computers. So engineering practice is all about how can I get the most for the least amount of product, material, money spent, used, whatever. So I think what you end up seeing is people, we didn't really have a very strict scientific way to determine Okay, so this is a good example. We're going to draw this back to what this podcast is about. So the Eads Bridge, and I believe I'm pronouncing that right, is famous. It's the longest bridge spanning, the oldest bridge spanning the Mississippi River today. Made out of steel. It was the first major steel structure created in the United States by the Illinois and St. Louis Bridge Company, which subcontracted the superstructure, so the steel structure, out to Keystone Bridge Company, which was Carnegie's company. They originally rated the structure to hold, I think it was like 3,000 pounds a foot or something along those lines, and they estimated it to be 5,000. And I think that came from a 2016 estimate, which shows you that things were overbuilt back then, primarily because they didn't really know. And they did have the engineering expertise, but they didn't have the precision that we have today. And so today we really try to use the least amount of material, make things as light and as simple as possible, yet still do their job effectively with a good safety factor. Yeah, I think that's a good point, is a safety factor then was probably a little more uh, forgiving than it is now. If you're doing a 158% over what you actually need, uh, that's more reasonable than 2 or 300%. Yeah, exactly. And so everything was overbuilt. Like the Model T, you had a buttload of steel in that. Later on, unibodies come along, like 
60s you have a car car you're not you're not towing things with a car for the most part you don't need a full frame you can develop the frame in the body now you're moving more to stamp metal which is still strong but now it's lighter it's cheaper to produce it's easier to mass produce right. less material the process can be cheaper and you see that go along and along as manufacturing progresses especially it took a not talk about cars too much but it did take a long time for the unibody to catch on relative to when it was first introduced but that's a that's a good story for later. However, I think if you go back to what we we're talking about and if, how people were artisans and craftsmen back in before industrialization, you can actually look at uh, Karl Marx. He wrote about that in his uh, manifesto. Now, it's an interesting read if you take the the political connotations away from it. But you can tell he was more of a, he would be more of a labor movement person today, and a lot of people in the labor movement quote his works. Not that they aren't very flawed, but he really talked about how the artisan is becoming poor and they can't make ends meet because why train one person or why have one person make a table for $100 when you can have people making 100 tables for $10? Yeah, you, you really see the need is what matters here versus the craftsmanship or the ornate nature of good so good good example is you can take any time period right and so let's let's take like the the late 1800s if you look at an ad let's do ads because they're easy to find so go google in 1800s 1880s ad and and you'll see very ornate artwork the letters are very um they're very floral in nature all these different lines and then you'll also see a lot of color which was probably more of a modern feature very expensive to print color back then and then as you look through times progresses, the lines become simpler because you have to think originally that stuff was kind of handmade and they would use it in stamps. So like you're stamping all those ads for flyers, papers, newspapers, while well, that had to be carved out and I'm sure machines were used, but it was also mostly done by hand, I'm sure. And as you go further and further along, I think technology is still progressing. And so now you have machines that can do the engraving, but maybe they're limited, right? right? So now you're more stuck with more of angles and straight lines. You can't do as many curves. And you see in the in the 20s, like the Rowan 20s, you see a lot of uh, great Gatsby-style parties. The font and the logos and, and, and whatnot, that, that style is very square. It's still fancy, but it's more streamlined. The pinstripe suits, straight lines are really big. And you keep going into the 50s, you get back to curves, but now it's real bold. It's not very ornate and fine detailed. It's more right. bold lines, curvatures, and you eventually move and move. You have the retro, you know, revitalization of rounded objects. I say that because you, you think of a bar store, you think of a diner, everything's around, the right. cars are round, everything's round. It, very futuristic in yeah. the sense they they were looking towards the future where things were more streamlined and aerodynamic, so that meant round, which is not necessarily the case in every sense. But it's, a, it's very interesting. We really should probably do an, an episode just about the cheapening of america though i think that would be an episode to do yeah i guess we kind of have a primer to that now so we i feel like we've 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 veered off a little bit but that's kind of what this this bonus episode is all about is exploring these ideas and to bring it back to what you were saying about the labor movement well you were talking about Karl marx and when he was talking about the artisans let's talk about the labor movement if you we're listening to any of our previous episodes there was a few different strikes we had mentioned and particularly the homestead strike was one that we went more in depth as we saw from that a lot of strife came about from workers versus the owners of companies and this is a very 
strong point that people make in history. We see it all the time about unions versus the overpowering business. There's a classic like the company owns you. You got to go pay everything at the company store and then the company store also owns your house. So then the company never actually spends any money, but then you never have any money. You never have any assets and then you're beholden to the company forever. Right. You're kind of stuck in that one little, um, that one little valley there of, you had to work for the company and you own, or the company owns everything that you have. I, I get why they tried to stream. Like, it probably didn't start as a, a gotcha kind of thing. It probably started as, like, hey, we're going to stream like the, streamline this. We're going to import the thing and I stuff. Think, I think in a lot of cases, and I can't speak to this whole holistically for everybody back then, but I think a lot of people, at least the initial idea, was like, hey, this will make it easier for these people. We can give them a way to live. They don't have to worry about traveling. We can offer their basic necessities here, and they don't have to worry about spending a bunch of money. Now, I don't know that completely, but that's kind of where we're at. That's kind of what I was thinking, too. But if anything uh, if anything can be explored, it will be explored, especially by people who have the means. But I think this would be a really good uh, time to kind of stop and, you know, let our first bonus episode stew a little bit. We'll get back to you on the next one. And this has been Prestigious Minds bonus episode. Wow. Bonus episode. Bonus episode. Oh, yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Prestigious Minds. That concludes today's episode. If you've enjoyed the show, let us know how we can improve by leaving us a review on Apple Podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at PMindsPod. And go give us a follow over there where we discuss and share photographs, videos, and anything visual related to the podcast. And thank you for listening to Prestigious Minds. <laughs>